Cheat Sheet. I'm Sinjin Flynn with Houston Public Media. And I'm Eric Skelly from Rocco, the River Oaks Chamber Orchestra. And this time we're talking about Mozart's Le Nozze di Figaro, Eric, The Marriage of Figaro, which debuted in Vienna in 1786. Right, based on a play by Beaumarchais, one of his Figaro trilogy. There's The Barber of Seville, The Marriage of, of Figaro, and The Guilty Mother. Mother. La Mère La Coupable. Mère coupable. And in fact, what is really interesting is that Mozart's Marriage of Figaro is the second of the three, and yet it was the first one. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rossini's The Barber of Seville was 1816, 30 years after The Marriage of Figaro. And The Ghosts of Versailles, based on on Le Mer Coupable, was from the 1980s. Uh, I can't remember exactly which year that was, 83 maybe? I don't know. Yeah. However, it was written by John Carigliano. Exactly. The subtitle for this opera, The Marriage of Figaro, is La Folle Journée, The Crazy Day. Hmm. And it does take place within one day. Right. And it's an important day because it's the day that Figaro is going to marry Susanna. Right. Figaro is now working for Count Amaviva. Officially, because in the Barber of Seville, he kind of... He was still a barber. Still a barber, a factotum. And he hooks up with him and, and helps him woo Rosina, who is now referred to as the Countess. So Figaro is sort of the manservant, the butler. And Susanna is the Countess's lady's maid. Right. And as part of their wedding present... That's Figaro and Susanna's Mm -hmm. wedding present. The Count and Countess have given them a bedroom that is well-situated between the Count's room and the Countess's room. Right. Ostensibly so that they can wait upon them more easily. But also, as we learn, because the Count kind of has his eye on Susanna. What is to be remarked on here? is that the Count that we have in the Barber of Seville is not the Count that we have in the Marriage of Figaro, in the sense that he has changed. And not for the better, necessarily. And not for the better. In the Barber of Seville, of course, he is wooing Rosina, and he is in love with Rosina, and everything is about Rosina. Here, though... After several years of marriage, he has a roving bored. eye. <laughs> He's got a roving eye, and it's interesting, Sinjin, because there's a there's a line, you know, later on in the opera, when the count and the and the countess are quarrelling, and he and he calls her by her name. It's the only time you hear her name, I believe, in the entire opera. He calls her Rosina, and she says, "I'm not Rosina anymore." Because so everybody has changed, right? Everybody has changed, and not necessarily for the better. They're not. They're not all. Uh, all is not necessarily well. The opera is set in the castle 
of the Count and Countess outside of Seville in Spain. Mm-hmm. And after we have the uh, the wonderful, well-known overture, right? the opera opens, Act One opens, and Susanna and Figaro are in their new bedroom. And Figaro is measuring the dimensions of the room, etc., because he wants to make sure that the bed will fit in and where's the bed going to go, etc. Right, and in their 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 dialogue here, we we learn all the things that we've just been talking about. That they're now in in close proximity to the count and the countess, and that Figaro's a little bit uh, perturbed by that because he he doesn't want the count having to have he doesn't want the count to be able to have a chance at making a play on his new bride to be. What underlies all of this is this. French concept of le droit du seigneur, right. the, the right of the Lord. And it was this ancient custom that stated that on a girl's wedding day, the noble of the area could sleep with her. Mm. First. First, before even her husband. Mm-hmm. And it was a vestige of the, the feudal system. Yeah. Not exactly enlightened. No. <laughs> but the Count in previous years has renounced the whole idea of the droit du seigneur. And he had stated that he was no longer going to, uh, to perpetuate that. Mm-hmm. But it seems like... He's having second thoughts. He's having second thoughts. And he is all hot to trot with Susanna on her wedding night. Yeah. And, of course, Figaro is going to have none of it. Right. And that's where we get the first of our big arias that we're, you know, I mean, there are a lot, there's, there are a lot of uh, musical numbers in this opera that people will recognize. And the first is this aria by Figaro before he leaves, Save vol ballare, Signor Contino. So, basically, you know, you want to dance, bring it. I'll dance, I'll right. dance, and I'll win. I right. will win. That I defiance. will outwit you. Mm-hmm. I will outwit you. Although Susanna at first does not seem particularly perturbed by the advances of the Count. Right. And what complicates matters is Cherubino. Ah, uh, yeah. Cherubino, who is one of the pages on the staff of the, the Count and Countess, has just been relieved of his duties. He's been fired, in essence. Why? Because he was caught. (laughs) Well, how do we put it delicately? In flagrante delicto. (laughs) With Barbarina. Yeah, he's a randy young guy. And this is, we should should stop and point out, this is a trouser role. We hear that a lot in opera. We see it a lot in opera. This is a role, an adolescent young male played by a mezzo-soprano, so that it's in that high register. And Cherubino comes in to see Susanna because he wants her help. Yes. He has a thing for the Countess. <laughs> I mean, basically, he has a thing for anything in he's a skirt. A, yeah, but he's got a particularly bad crush on the Countess. And he wants Susanna to sort of smooth things over mm-hmm. with the Count so that Cherubino does not have to leave. Right. And then, as Cherubino is in 
Susanna and Figaro's bedroom, what happens? There's a knock on the door. (laughs) (laughs) And who's at the door? It's the Count. (laughs) And he does not want to be found by the Count there alone with a woman. So he hides behind the chair. He hides behind a chair in Susanna's room. And, of course, this is where the uh, chaos begins to ensue. Yes. Because you have then the rest of the scene playing out, and Cherubino overhears everything that the Count says to Susanna. Uh Uh-huh. Including all the Count's sweet nothings to Susanna. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. And then... The Count pulls the dust sheet off the chair and, of course, sees Cherubino and is not happy. No, no. And uh, the, the funny thing is that he's basically demonstrating to Susanna how, you know, he's, he's, de- he's determined to catch Cherubino <laughs> again in flagrante delicto. And he's, he lifts the sheet to show how he will, you know, expose Cherubino, little knowing that... <laughs> When we'll he actually the expose He's Carabino. really there. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, the, the double take is priceless. Well, of course, Carabino now has something on the count. Oh, yeah. Because he's overheard. And he even says, well, I tried not to hear. <laughs> but he, he has heard what the count has been saying to Susanna. Right. So there is this sort of quid pro quo that takes place. And that is... Cherubino doesn't lose his employment, but the Count gives him a commission into his army and gets him sent away. Nice way to get rid of him. (laughs) Cue the next big aria, which is is actually, again, it's Figaro. Um, The aria is called Non Piondrai. Basically, he is taunting Cherubino about this new regimented life he's going to lead in the military. And... (laughs) and, uh, yeah, a little bit of schadenfreude there. <laughs> and, of course, Cherubino is this swooning youth who uh, writes songs and poetry to these women that he falls in love with, you know, at the drop of a hat. Yeah, not anymore. <laughs> End of Act One. Act Two opens with the Countess lamenting the fact that she has lost her husband's love. And this is unusual, we have to say. You know, we've had an, an entire act of this opera, and we haven't even met a major character, which is, the, which is the Countess. And this is the first time we see her. The aria is called Porgi Amor, and it is exceedingly, exquisitely beautiful. We're talking long, long cantabile lines that just go forever, and uh, uh, a soprano who could really float this aria is going to make a sensation with it. Figaro enters and Susanna, and this is where things start to get really complicated. (laughs) Because what they decide to do is to hatch a plot to sort of catch the count and shame him. Mm -hmm. How do they propose to do that? With letters. (laughs) with letters Um, Figaro is going to send him anonymous letters basically implying adultery so the plan is that 
they're going to set up this sort of false secret assignation mm -hmm. between the Count and Susanna. Right. In the garden at night. Mm -hmm. And Cherubino will be dressed as Susanna. And then they write an anonymous letter to the Count that says the Countess is going to meet some unknown man. Okay. Cherubino comes in because he wants to see about, you know, how he's going to be dressed to play Susanna. Right. And he has just written this song. Q aria. Q aria. <laughs> Voi che sapete. Yes. Which is one of the big ones from this opera. Yes. Not to be confused with Voi lo sapete from Cavalleria Rusticana, which is completely, completely different. <laughs> Tell me, fair ladies, yes. Voi che sapete, you who know about love, love is. Right, mm -hmm. right. So while he's there, the Countess and Susanna decide to have a little fun with him, and they basically use him to play dress-up. <laughs> and get him all decked out in, in women's clothes, you know, for the assignation. And so they are in the Countess's dressing room, and then there's a knock at her bedroom door. Yeah. And it's the Count. Of course it is. <laughs> and they panic. Because Carabino's standing there. He's supposed to have gone to join the regiment. Right. He's not supposed to be there at all. And he's standing there in full women's regalia. <laughs> and if the Count comes in and sees him, he'll be like, what's going on here? Right. So Carabino rushes into the Countess's dressing room. Right. And she locks the door. And Susanna simply hides behind a curtain. Then the Count is let in, but he's suspicious. Yeah, he heard, he heard something. He thinks that the Countess has Carabino locked in the dressing room. Yeah, well, she does. She does, but, of course. <laughs> but they weren't doing what he thought he thought they were doing. Because there is this, this, this whole tension. Oh, yeah. Because Carabino has the hots for the Countess. Right. So the Count says, I'm going to go and get the key to your dressing room. And you're coming with me. And you're coming with me. So they leave. And as soon as they and, leave. And, and the Count locks the door. To the bedroom. To the bedroom to prevent anybody from coming out, to prevent Carabino from getting out while they're gone. So once they are gone, yes, you've got Susanna and Cherubino yeah. locked in the Countess's apartments. Right. Susanna lets Cherubino out of the dressing room. And they're panicked. What, what are, are we gonna going do? to do? What are we going to do? So Carabino comes up with the idea that he's just going to have to jump for it. He's going to have to jump out the bedroom window. I, I forget how many stories up they are, but he, uh, he takes a big running jump, leaps out the window, and Susanna looks out the window and says, oh, you little scamp, he landed fine, and off, he's off and running <laughs> across the gardens. So the Count and Countess come back, unlock the door, and come in, and Susanna has locked herself in the dressing room. Right. And the Count comes roaring in going, 
come on out here, you little SOB. <laughs> I mean, basically, the, the line is, ill-born youth, come on out, get out of here, come on out here, show yourself. And uh, the Count is basically, the Countess is basically pleading with him, you know, because she thinks Carabina really is in there. And, and she's, she's saying, she makes up this pretense that they were dressing him up to take part in some sort of charade. Right. And she's pleading with him to, you know, just calm down, pleading, calm down, calm down. And he opens the door and there's Susanna. Susanna. <laughs> <laughs> to his great surprise and the Countess's. She was not expecting that. The Count rushes in to make sure that Cherubino isn't hiding somewhere in there. But right. of course he's not. Right. At this point, Figaro comes in. Yes. Because they're about to have this wedding dance. Right. The the wedding festivities for Figaro and Susanna are beginning, and Figaro is inviting the Count and the Countess to come and take part in the dance. Right. And meanwhile, the Count has gotten this anonymous letter that he's very suspicious about, and he, he basically grills Figaro because he suspects him. This is the letter that they Figaro actually in did. Act one. Yeah, he actually did send it. And he grills Figaro and grills Figaro, and Figaro just keeps denying knowledge about it. And the count is is almost almost placated and almost ready to let it go. When in comes Antonio the gardener, complaining vociferously about well, what what now? But they're dropping they're dropping kids out of the windows and tearing up my garden. <laughs> you know, so the count questions him further, and it, well, Figaro says, "Oh, that was me." <laughs> and Antonio says, "That nah, looked more like the page to me." Yeah, right. The page who would be messing around with Antonio's daughter Barbarina. Right. But Antonio says, "Yeah, whoever it was, dropped this piece of paper." Uh, what's this piece of paper? It is Carabino's commission for the army. For the army. Oops. <laughs> However, the countess saves the day because, quick on her feet, she says, well, the reason that we have Carabino's commission is because it, it lacked a seal. It lacked the count seal. Yeah. You forgot to seal it. Yeah. And so it's not valid without your seal. Right. Carabino gave it to us to get the seal. Yeah. And then... And then, <laughs> <laughs> and then as if things weren't complicated enough yeah. already, yeah, yeah. in come Marcellina, mm -hmm. Dr. Bartolo, mm -hmm. and Basilio. Basilio. <laughs> and they're complaining to the count... They're complaining that they, they want to sue Figaro for, for a breach of promise. And, I mean, it just becomes... I mean, he's, he's sort of... Def he's borrowed money from Marcellina. Right. Figaro has borrowed money from Marcellina. Right. And he has defaulted on... On the loan. On the repayment. And so, what happens, though, is that Marcellina is not really interested in having... Getting the money back. Getting the money back. She wants Figaro. She wants Figaro. Because she's got the hots for Figaro. Oh, and this is going to come back to haunt her. <laughs> oh, boy. So then we have this huge finale. Yes. To close out Act Two. 
And this is where this opera comes into its own. Some would argue that starting with Eshio Ormai uh, Garton Manato, that begins the, the big Act Two finale. It's one of the greatest scenes in opera, period, full stop. It's just, it's just absolutely masterful. So how many voices do we have here? We have the Count, the Countess, Figaro, Susanna, Marcellina, Basilio, and Bartolo. Dr. Bartolo. So Mozart is weaving these seven voices together in perfect harmony. Mm -hmm. What is interesting is that here at the end of Act Two, everything is complete pandemonium. Completely. And yet Mozart expresses all of this in this perfectly crafted, controlled ensemble. Exactly. End of Act Two. End of Act Two. Act Three, the Count is still hoping to sort of get his claws into Susanna. He hasn't given up hope yet. And Susanna then comes looking for some smelling salts for the Countess. And the Count propositions her. Yeah. And she agrees to meet him in the garden that evening. Right. However, on her way out, she runs into Figaro, and the two of them are just a little bit too loud and they are basically, she's, she's reassuring Figaro that they're going to win all of this. She's going to win his case against Marcellina. The two of them are going to triumph. Well, the Count overhears all of that. And he has this wonderful aria that follows. Vedro uh, mentrio sospiro. Basically, he's, he's mad as hell. <laughs> he is really, really ticked off. Why should my pleasure be subverted, you know, when my servant gets his, <laughs> is the gist of it. Right. Yeah. He's pulling rank. Yeah, completely. He wants that droit de seigneur that you spoke about earlier. And then Marcellina and Dr. Bartolo come back in, and they want the Count to settle the dispute that Marcellina has with Figaro. And Figaro can't pay back the money, so the Count says that... He's got to marry Marcellina, but... It's in Figaro's hearing, and Figaro says he can't get married without his parents' permission. He doesn't know who they are, because he was stolen from them when he was a baby. And in the exchange that follows, Marcellina and Bartolo suddenly realize Oops. they're his parents. <laughs> I mean, boy, that's a twist in the story. I'll say... <laughs> and they have a lovely reconciliation. And while they're reconciling, and Figaro is 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 hugging Marcellina, in comes Susanna, who, knowing you know Marcellina and the whole history there, draws exactly the wrong conclusion and walks up and slaps Figaro across the face until he tells her, "She's my mother." <laughs> <laughs> And she says, her mother? Your mother? Yeah, my mother. <laughs> what do you know? <laughs> so after all of them leave, we find the Countess, who's alone with her thoughts. 
And this is one of the most famous arias, not only in this opera, but in opera period. This is Dove Sono. Dove sono i bei momenti? Where are the beautiful moments when I was young and, you know, before we were married and when we were first married, it was so beautiful and it was so wonderful. And now we're all so unhappy. And it's just, it's again, the Countess has this and Porta di Amore, two of the most beautiful arias that really require uh, a technique of very long, long phrases in one breath. Legato. It's legato for days. It's, <laughs> it's really amazing. So then she's joined then by Susanna, and the two of them set about writing a letter to send to the Count to arrange for Susanna to meet him that night in the gardens. And this is the big letter duet. Que suave zeferetto. Yeah. Sularia. Sularia. On the air. Just this beautiful little aria on the just... It's that beautiful duet. Oh, it's absolutely exquisitely gorgeous. And it's the piece of music that they use in the film, The Shawshank Redemption. Oh, I'd forgotten that. When Andy Dufresne locks himself in the governor's office and he's got the uh, records. Okay. And he plays this duet through the loudspeakers into the, the prison? prison yard. Oh, my goodness. And all the prisoners stop and listen and are just completely captivated by its beauty. As well they should be. Right. Then this crowd of girls from the village comes in to pay tribute to the Countess. And as they are doing this, the Count comes in with Antonio, and lo and behold, who is among the crowd? The village girls. Carabino. Whom <laughs> the Count is not happy to see at all. But... Quickly interceding is another character that we've not met yet. This is young Barbarina, who has Antonio's a fancy, daughter. Antonio's daughter, and she fancies Carabino. So she steps in and says, you know, you once told me that you would give to the count, she says this, you would give me anything I want. <laughs> if I gave you what you wanted. Right, right. And uh, so she's calling in her, her favor, and she wants to marry Carabino. And so the Count agrees to let Carabino stay. Oops. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> so we have a double wedding. We have Figaro and Susanna, and we have... Bartolo and Marcellina. Right. Because they weren't married. No. <laughs> but they did have a little boy. Yes, they did. He's not so little anymore. Everybody then breaks out into this chorus in praise of the Count, his generosity. His magnanimity. Magnanimity. <laughs> because he has abolished the droit du seigneur. Yes. What a great guy he is. Oh, boy. Just a peach. <laughs> and then Susanna gives him the letter that she and the Countess have just read. And she has sealed the letter with a pin. Yes. And as the Count opens the letter, he pricks his finger on the pin. And there's general rejoicing as the curtain drops. End of Act 3. End of Act 3. Act 4. We are in the gardens at night. And this is where everything comes to a head. Right. So the Count 
having gotten the letter from Susanna in the previous act, right, setting up this assignation at night in the gardens, he sent the pin that she sealed the letter with back to Susanna via Barbarina, who has dropped it in the garden at night. And she's crawling around on the ground in tears looking for it because she's lost it. So as she's doing that, Figaro and Marcellina come upon the scene and ask her what's wrong. And she tells them. The Count gave me this pin and told me to give it back, back. to Susanna. Right. And I've lost it. Right. And of course, Figaro draws the wrong conclusion. <laughs> that there really is an assignation and his, his new wife is about to be unfaithful to him. Susanna and the Countess come into the garden. Susanna is dressed as the Countess. The yes. Countess is dressed as Susanna. Susanna. And then Carabinus shows up and starts flirting with whom he thinks is the Countess. But it's not the Countess, it's Susanna. And he nearly just scotches the whole plan. The Count chases him off because he wants Susanna. Right. Except... <laughs> Of course, it's not Susanna anyway. Except the Susanna, the woman he thinks is Susanna, is really his wife. Right. But he doesn't know that. And he gives her, he gives her a, a present. He gives her a, he gives her a ring, a jeweled ring. And they go, they, they go off together. And the Countess kind of gets away from him at that point. So in another part of the garden, you've got Figaro and the real Susanna, but she's actually in the Countess's clothes. And the, and the Figaro thinks she's the Countess and starts telling her about what the Count is attend, intending to do with Susanna. And in the midst of telling, him, telling her this, he suddenly realizes he's not, he's not talking to the Countess, he's actually talking to Susanna. <laughs> but he doesn't let on, and he decides to have a little fun with Susanna, even though he knows it's Susanna, but she thinks she still thinks that he thinks she's the countess. countess. Right. So he starts kind of cozying up to her and you know flirting with flirting her. with her until she loses her temper and smacks him. For the second time during the opera. For, for the second time. And then he finally lets her know that he recognized her voice and he knew it was her all along. But the count sees this and he thinks that the countess is being unfaithful. Right. And so he makes this big brouhaha and calls everybody, come and look at this. Yeah, yeah. My wife is cheating on me. And then behind everybody, the voice of the countess. And of course, everybody realizes the countess was not being unfaithful. No. The count is shamed. Especially when he sees the ring that he thought he'd given to Susanna is actually on the hand of his wife. And he realizes he's being made a fool of. Completely. He asks for forgiveness. On his knees, as he should. Contessa perdono. And begins this gorgeous ensemble with all of the principals and the chorus in a truly moving moment uh, that you know only Mozart could pull off. End of opera. End of opera. So they do all live happily ever after. What is well, it? <laughs> check out La Mer Coupable again. Not so much, but at least for the moment, it ends, it ends well. All's well that ends well. Yes, indeed. What is it, Eric, that makes The Marriage of Figaro, for some people, it is the greatest opera ever written? Sure. Well, It was the first of 
his collabor- uh, Mozart's collaborations with uh, Da Ponte. Da Ponte, yeah. And, and that's just one of those storied collaborations. I mean, Mozart and Da Ponte, uh, Verdi and Boito, it's just a, a magical meeting of composer and librettist Wagner and Wagner. Wagner and Wagner. <laughs> yeah, sure. Let's go with that. But yeah, I mean, Mozart, you know, created many masterpieces throughout his career. But these three that he created with Da Ponte are by many considered to be the greatest, you know, still in all of opera. And they still hold the test of time so beautifully. They hold the stage so beautifully for, for works that are as old as they are. They don't really require very much suspension of disbelief in the way that, say, a lot of the bel canto operas do that that come from a later period because da Ponte was such a masterful librettist that uh, these libretti are are so wonderfully stage-worthy and the characters are so multifaceted and rich. And we should say that the other two of the three are Don Giovanni and Così Fan Tutte. Exactly. And of course, the marriage of Figaro gives us some great tunes. Some of the greatest ever. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, for a start, you've got the overture. Yeah. And then you've got Voi che sapete. Non so più. You've got Dove sono, Porgi Amor. Solaria. Se vuol ballare. Yep. Yeah. Non più andrai. I mean, just... Hit after hit after hit. Yeah. Mozart's The Marriage of Figaro, Le Nozze di Figaro. That's this week's Opera Cheat Sheet. I'm Sinjin Flynn. And I'm Eric Skelly. Thank you for listening. Are you